You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. And I hope you're glad you came to church this Easter Sunday. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's find a Bible and turn to, um, turn to Matthew chapter 28. You can clap as you turn in your Bible as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Hard to do, but awesome. Matthew chapter 28, we're actually finishing a series we've been in the last couple of months here in the Gospel of Matthew on the suffering of Christ, taking us right to his crucifixion. But of course, we can't end there. We have to complete this series in the Gospel of Matthew and today ending with his uh, resurrection. So we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses of Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. It should be the seat in, in front of you. Um, if you don't know where the Gospel of Matthew is, it's the first book in the New Testament. Um, you can look at someone beside you who's got it open, or you can go to the table of contents and find out there, or just steal the Bible of the person beside you and take it, and then you can find out where Matthew is. The reason I really want you to open your Bible is because there is no message apart from the Word of God. And so anything I have to say right now is going to come from his book, because it's just that. It's his book. He wrote it. He wrote it, and it's been bringing people from death to life ever since it was written, and it will continue to do that today, literally across this world, which is absolutely amazing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just before actually I do anything else, let me, um, let me pray. Father, I bow before you because I am uh, immensely needy of your strength as we all are right now. So just take a posture of dependence and say, oh God, help us and lead us. Oh God, renew us. Oh God, teach us. Oh God, encourage us. Oh God, save us and save some here even now, Lord, that have never known the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do it, Lord, that you would be glorified, that each life that is turned from death to life begins to shine the glory of the Lord Jesus and begins to give him praise, and then is used as an instrument and light in this world. That's what it means as we are redeemed. We don't take this message and conceal it. We have this message now to reveal it and to tell and to proclaim the greatest story ever known in the history, literally in the history of the world. So help us now, Lord. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The importance, the magnitude, and the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ simply uh, cannot be overstated. It is, without a doubt, the single greatest turning point in the history of the world. Even the most ardent skeptic, upon an honest, and hear me, upon an honest evaluation of history, the most ardent skeptic must admit there's never been a life that has left more of a world-changing impact than the life, death, and yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These things being true, just from, from a historical perspective, if I'm on the outside looking in and I hear these facts about this Jesus guy and just undeniable all around me across this world, the impact of this one life that people say lived and died and that's kind of it, then the, the questions I'm asking looking from the outside in, I'm asking why? Why? See, no one seriously debates the world-changing impact of this Jesus of Nazareth guy. But why has he been so world-changing? I mean, how is it possible that he lived and died, and supposedly people say he rose again from the dead? We believe that with all our hearts. But here we are 2,000 years later across an ocean, a country called Canada, and so many people being powerfully impacted, testifying to the fact they were once dead, but now they're alive by Jesus Christ. I mean, if I'm on the outside looking in, I'm like, how is that even possible? How is this possible? How come this thing didn't die out 1950 years ago? What's up with this? 
These people are still talking about this guy and still saying, I've been alive, I can see, I can hear, I've lost, I'm fat. What's up with that? If I'm on the outside looking in, I'm at least taking the time to ask these questions, listen, before I die. And I just think that's just human logic, common sense, just a a little bit of wisdom. Before I die, I have one chance in this life, I think wisdom would just get my head out of the sand, look around a little bit, and just take a couple of moments to ask a few questions that says, what's up with this Jesus guy? Why is there over two billion people in some form today celebrating the risen Savior? What's up with that? How's that possible? Just taking the time and the wisdom to just ask a couple of questions to get some answers that it might actually change my life. But you see, the problem with so many people in our society, the problem with our society as a whole, I think our society is the all-time champion at navel-gazing. And navel-gazing defined as this. It is the self-indulgent or excessive contemplation of oneself at the expense of a wider view. Our society is so self-obsessed, so living for the pleasure of the moment, so make it about me. I want to be happy now. And we're so self-obsessed in this, we, we, we sacrifice the chance to look up and gain a wider view of something that might actually impact me for the rest of eternity. You know, there are people that are dying right now, dying right now, will go to the grave today where their single greatest passion in their life was their sports team. It's just true. People dying today, the one thing they would be known for is the team they cheered for. There are people literally dying today where their single greatest obsession over the course of their life was their physical appearance. You think about that, the, the money and the time and the, and the insecurity and the obsession with an external appearance that is certain to age and you cannot deny, but their whole lives are spent in some form, in some way, trying to uh, manipulate an appearance to be someone they want to be so others will, it's just crazy. There are people literally dying today where the vast, this is increasingly so in our generation, the vast majority of their life has been spent in front of a TV playing a video game. Scary, scary. I wish it was a joke, it's not. Like literally the majority of their life, that is navel gazing to the umph degree. There are people literally dying today, going to their grave where they spent their entire lives accumulating money, that which they cannot even take with them when they die. This is navel gazing. So part of my appeal today is this. Part of my appeal is, can we take a few moments, just in common human logic, common sense, with a bit of wisdom, maybe look up just for a moment and look around and just ask this question, is there something bigger than me in this world? Is there a greater purpose beyond my temporal happiness? Is there something else that I am to live for other than my own pursuit of what I think is best? And I think as each person does that honestly and you are confronted with the truth of Jesus Christ and specifically the power of his resurrection, you might be very surprised at what you begin to see. As someone who truly looks upon the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and begins to believe in him by grace through faith, this is the person whose life will never, ever be the same again. This is the opportunity today. God, help us to look up and help us to see you. Matthew 28 
verse 1, is the account of the single greatest turning point in the history of the world. 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Okay, so live in the text, live in the text. Any serious Bible student, anyone wanting to take the best out of God's word, as you're reading, like, this is a narrative, so it's easier to do, but just imagine the scene unfolding in your mind. It's pretty fun, all right? And we'll comment on this again as we go through this message. Verse 3 His appearance, that's the angel, his appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Listen to this. He is not here, for he has risen. Amen? And notice, as he said, as he said, the angel says, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Awesome. See, I have told you. So the women, they departed and quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples, this is my favorite, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, and this is for some here today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to look at something greater than yourself. Do not be afraid to find out that the resurrection, this is where life truly begins. Do not be afraid to see the saving power of Jesus Christ. And eternal life is only found within him. Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. I want us to see a few things about this first account of the first Easter morning ever. I want us to see and I want us to learn as we start to understand all of life is found in this account of this story of this Lord and Savior who is risen from the dead. But it starts in a place we may not expect. Point number one is this. We see this in the text. First of all, there was an expectation of death. As the first Sunday morning, as the sun started to rise, and even not quite yet, still dark, but the dawn was kind of breaking, the women were approaching the tomb, but they carried with them an expectation of death. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So here we have a description of two very devout women who followed Jesus, a woman who certainly loved Jesus. It's Matthew's gospel in chapter 27, just the verses preceding our text right here. Matthew's gospel tells us that these were the very same women who watched Jesus die. It says that there right in Matthew 27, verse 56. They watched Jesus die, and they also watched Jesus be buried precisely in the tomb they were coming to visit. That's in verse 61. And both Mary Magdalene is named, and the other Mary is named as well. So it's on this Sunday morning, the first day of the week after the Sabbath, the text says. Sabbath was, of course, Saturday. Sunday morning, the first day of the week. These women arise early, and notice verse 1, it says, they went to see the tomb. Or you can also translate that, they went to see the grave. 
So their expectation on this Sunday morning, again, was death. Mark's gospel, Mark's another account of what happened, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark's gospel also tells us here they had brought spices with them in the hope of anointing, somehow getting the stone rolled back. We're not sure what they were thinking, how that would happen. But somehow they would take the spices to anoint Jesus' now decaying body, or so they thought. What's unmistakable, on this first Easter morning, these women showed up and they came with an expectation of death. And from a human standpoint, you can't really blame them. I think if you and I were there too, and we saw all these things happen, and with our little faith, I think we'd be walking up filled with despair expecting death as well. It's amazing how God's ways are not our ways. You know, I've always been fascinated trying to imagine what Friday evening was like for the disciples of Jesus and all day Saturday and then these first parts of Sunday morning. I mean, I think about all the disciples had experienced in just like a three-year span. I try to imagine the rush of adrenaline they had as Jesus calmed the sea and made the wind be still. And as they just sat there watching this and says, who is this man who can order the wind and the waves? I imagine the joy they felt as they watched Jesus raise certain people from the dead and Lazarus come forth and Lazarus walks out with his garments and he's resuscitated from the dead and and just the joy they must have felt, the exhilaration in their souls and lives and their minds as they witnessed this and just like this, this is the guy we're following. I imagine the wonder as Jesus was confronted time and time again by the smartest men in the religion of their day and it never Once was he made to look a fool, and every single time his intellect and his wisdom always, always rose above and put these people with their bad intentions in their place. I mean, just the feeling of security to be beside Jesus, the confidence, the excitement. And then Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday was a few days before this happened. And Palm Sunday, Jesus riding on the donkey with apparent and imminent victory. The palm branches are waving, people shouting Hosanna, and the disciples are like, yeah, man, yeah, here's our Savior. He's going to, his kingdom's going to come. This is what we've been waiting for. The Roman government's going to be demolished. We're going to see it. It's all coming together. We're in the right place. We're on the right team. Jesus is the man. But then what was it, four days? Four and a half days later, Jesus arrested. What's that about? The disciples must be thinking. The disciples scatter. Jesus then on trial. Jesus tortured. Jesus beaten. Jesus unthinkably crucified. Jesus dead. Jesus gone. Jesus buried. So just again, put yourself in the shoes of those who are closest to Jesus. So Friday afternoon, Jesus dies in the tomb Friday evening, and then you go back to where, and you do what? What are you feeling? Like, what, what, what happened to the, to, the, to, the, to the storm? What happened to, to, to Lazarus? What happened to, to Palm Sunday? What happened? And then do you sleep at all Friday night? Like, is there one wink for Peter and James and John? And what do you do Saturdays? Look at each other? Go by yourself somewhere? And then somehow manage to get through Saturday night and then Sunday morning happens. And the disciples apparently are too distraught to do anything. But here you have, I love about this text, highlighting everything here through the lens of women. And you know, in this day too, women weren't even 
accounted as legitimate witnesses in any kind of official setting. And here, God in his sovereignty and God in his glory chooses for these wonderful women to be the first to witness the resurrected Christ. And doing the only thing they knew to do, right? They went to see the tomb. They went to see the grave, but carrying with them the expectation of death. So as the women approached the tomb, did they, did they say a word as they walked together? The other Gospels tell us it wasn't just Mary Magdalene and Mary. There was a couple other women with them as well. Again, did they say a word as they walked? Were their heads down the entire time? Did tears fall their eyes upon the dusty ground as they approached this site of the tomb? How deep was their despair? But you know, right here, and this is what I want us to see, right here in the expectation of death, right here in the Easter story, we find one of the great lessons of the Christian life. In fact, we find one of the great lessons of life itself. When we are at our worst, loved ones, God is still at his best. When we think all hope is lost, when we think things are over, God is so often just getting started. I mean, think of the story of Easter. Think of the place where the disciples were. But think of what they would soon see. For a day that would turn out to be so incredibly glorious, it would be the best day ever of these women's lives and the disciples. It would be a day they would honestly and truly and legitimately and literally never, ever forget. It began with such significant despair. I wonder, are you here right now in significant despair? Are you here right now and thinking all hope is lost? Are you here right now in a place of bewilderment and confusion and sadness and worry and anxiety and crippled with fear and loneliness. So often our faith fails. But again, this is where the ways of God are not the ways of man. And this is where when we set in and what the things that we can see and the things that we feel and we begin to allow our expectations to become our reality. See, the women as they're approaching, bless them. I admire them so much. At least they were doing something and they were walking up, but their expectations became Jesus' reality. We expect him to be dead, so therefore he must be dead. They were thinking according to their terms. We do that all the time. We often live as Saturday is all there is. And we fail to see that Sunday is just around the corner. And some of us are here right now, we're in that place. We're like, it's Saturday, it's Saturday, there's no hope, there's no point. My faith is failing, I cannot see, I do not feel the way I think I should feel. But little do we know, little do we know, what God has, what God has for us, if we continue to walk by faith and trust in him because the ways of God are not the ways of man. They just aren't. God will continue to blow away any and all expectations because that is what God does. The only one, loved ones, who can determine the reality in this world, the only one who says this is how it is, the only one who can say my expectations become reality is the Lord God Almighty, his son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, which is also God. The only one who can do that is the Lord God Almighty, not us, not us. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the first resurrection morning. The gospel itself is a story of, of impossible odds. And it all seemed done. Don't you notice the greatest stories that our society comes up with always model the gospel? The underdog, the guy who dies, but he comes back to life and saves the world. Imagine that. The greatest story ever. It's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the very heart of the gospel. And God says, I don't want you to live with an expectation of death. 
because I want you to understand that I am the beginning of true life. Do you know what saddens me so much? There are many people walking through this whole life and their only expectation is death. They're literally living this life. I just gotta make a bunch of money. What happens when you make after money? After you make, make a bunch of money, then what happens? Well, then I die. And then what? I wanna be successful. I'm gonna get a great job and do all these things and buy a nice house and get a car and then, and, and then what? And then you die. Oh, I wanna go and I wanna feel like I'm important. I wanna do this. I, I wanna get that. I'm just, but like, their only expectation is live now, do what you can, and then die. That, that is tragic. And this is what the Easter story blows to smithereens. And that is why some of you are here even now to hear the reality and the truth. We've walked in here with an expectation of death. Jesus is going to have something to say about that right now. Number one, expectation of death. Number two, there was the shock of glory. There was the shock of glory. So you have an expectation of death, and then God's like, okay, enough of this. And he comes in with his glory. Look at verse two. And behold, okay, uh, turning point, okay? That's what's happening right here. Turning point, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said, notice not to the guards, this message is for the women. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. So what a, what a moment this must have been, right? They're walking up and filled with despair, and then in a flash of an instant, their despair turns to fear. Ever happened to you? It has at some point in some way. It happens to a lot of kids. It's when kids are like angry at home, and they do something foolish because they're angry, like they throw something or they punch something, and then all of a sudden they punch a hole through a wall, or they break one of mom's like prize plates, and then in their anger, what happens? In a split second, their anger turns to fear. Yes, my dad is going to kill me type of thought, right? And then the, the, the anger has been completely dismissed with the reality of this new motion now, which is called a healthy dose of fear. Again, I'm running out of here because I'm about to die type of thing, right? Now, the women aren't angry in the text, but I'm just trying to articulate here the, the, the expression of they had despair, and then in an instant, it turns to fear. It turns to wonder. It turns to a what in the world is going on right now. And rightly so. I mean, you're walking in the dark, shedding tears, saying anything, if anything at all, and then all of a sudden, bam, earthquake. I mean, that alone, right? And then an angel. But an angel looks like lightning and clothing as white as snow. The guards in the tomb, the guard, the Roman guards were taught to never fall down. We're trained to be super tough guys. And the super tough guys, though, the Bible says they look as though they were dead. And the angel then, that moment, speaks and says, do not be afraid. That's in the category of easy for you to say, angel, lightning, white as clothing dude, right? Right? But what's happening here in this resurrection story? The Lord's sending a message. The Lord has confronted the expectation of death and he is shocking the world with his glory. You've come in here today, maybe some of us, with an expectation of death. And the Lord is going to shock you with his glory as only he can, in only the way that he can. Why the earthquake? A lot of commentators believe the earthquake was a signal of the victory of Jesus Christ. You know, 
we get excited when something good happens. Again, cheering for our sports team. We cheer. We kind of shake, you know. Even today, we're cheering for the risen Savior, and we, you know, we can't just stay still. We shake, and we're, in some form, the earth here is shaking. The heavens are rejoicing. The earth is glad. The Savior of the world, the creator of the universe was dead, but now he is alive, and the earth quakes, giving glory to the Lord. The angel here, what's, what's up with him? He's, he's evidently uh, carrying a description that is reminiscent of the glory of God. He's a representation of God's glory. The angel is not God. He is a representation of God's glory, shining like lightning, not exactly hiding the power of God. His clothing as white as snow. That is um, a representation of God's holiness and power and supremacy. The text says in verse 2 that the angel descended from heaven itself. I just, I imagine that moment, and the angel's like, Now, God, can I go now? Can I go now? Not yet, not yet. Now, now. Down to earth. Boom, earthquake. Stone rolled back. Sits on it like lightning, clothing as white as snow. How awesome he must have enjoyed and felt in that incredibly glorious moment as the tough guy guards fall to pieces and the bless these, bless these women sitting there trembling with fear, but somehow standing and observing all that is around them. You know, it's fascinating that when Christ died, the sun went dark. The whole earth went dark. But now that he is raised, his glory shines. How heaven must have wept at his death, but now they beam forth the glorious light as he lives. I want you to see this too. This is very important. Notice that human obstacles that try to oppose God, um, they are a joke, all right? They are a joke. Uh, the stone against the tomb and the guards, that's going to keep him in, really? I mean, look at, look at uh, Matthew 27, verse 62. Here's man's attempt to stop what God is going to do. The next day, Matthew 27, 62, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. These are the enemies of Jesus. These are the ones that killed him. And said, Sir, we remember that the imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. You know what's interesting about that? It's seemingly the enemies of Jesus are kind of more cognizant of what Jesus said about this than his own disciples were. It's just kind of interesting because they remember he said this stuff and there's not a lot of evidence to say the disciples were talking about this at all. Verse 64, Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. Good luck with that one. But the guards, they go, and they're going to stop the Lord Jesus Christ? Really? Really? Again, in an instant, they are frozen stiff. Now, what I love here, notice the text says, the angel descended, earthquake, the stone was rolled back, and what does the angel do next? Try to see in the text. Don't look at me, don't look at me. Look at the Bible. It's a really good book. He rolls back the stone, and notice the angel does what? He sits on the stone. Why does he sit on the stone? I think it's an act of, of triumph. And almost an act, you see, see the angel just sitting on the stone and just being like, is that all you got? Like, is, is that all you got? This stone and a couple of guards? He's like, Pff. 
He's sitting on a stone and, and just in apparent and total victory and almost mocking the human man-centered attempts to try to thwart the purposes of God. Right here, this one little description is a summary statement of how man versus God, how that's going to turn out. Man is so pompous and so arrogant and so cocky and so filled with pride and makes all these statements. And in the end, it's going to be extremely and painfully clear who's in control and extremely and gloriously obvious that there is one who reigns and one who is sovereign and literally will give the word, will speak. And any who oppose God and his Savior, Jesus, Son, Jesus Christ, they will be obliterated. He will speak the words and it will be done. I love that just right here in this text. Came and rolled back the stone and he sat on it and he began to have a conversation. So the guards are now seemingly nothing. They, they don't have any more part in this story. But all, including the women, though, the women are, are, are held in fear, as you and I would be as well. And listen, this, this sense of fear, why does God shock us with his glory? He shocks us with his glory in so many different ways because then we are ready to hear the message of life. Then we are looking up from our own life and we're so often navel-gazing in this point. When the glory of God shocks us, first thing we do is we look up. We look away from self. We, we look to see what is happening. And in that moment, we're not thinking about this. We're just trying to ascertain and comprehend the situation. This is the power of this first resurrection Sunday. God shocks them with his glory because he's about to tell them the greatest message they have ever known. Right here in this example of angel and earthquake and stone and and lightning and clothing as white as snow, it's God saying, I am awesome. I am unstoppable. I hold all glory. My plan is the one that will happen. I have incomprehensible power. I I am mind-blowing sovereignty. I am inexhaustible strength. I carry unlimited authority, and I will do whatever I want. And I am God who is executing my plan of salvation, and when we catch a glimpse of the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that he's done and humbled himself in this way through his son to live and die, be raised from the dead, this is when our heads come out of the sand, we look around, and we begin to imagine a life not lived just for self, but a life lived in the pursuit and the worship of the God who created me. And this becomes a beautiful and holy fear. See what the story of the resurrection is trying to do to us? It's trying to say life is bigger than us. God, forgive us for thinking we're all that there is. And forgive us for being so self-obsessed and self-indulgent with our daily activities and the way that we live. But the Easter story blows that out of the water that we might truly start to live. We might truly see life. Truly see life. An expectation of death. The shock of glory. And now thirdly this. There was now the message of life. The message of life, verse 6. The glory is shone. And now the angel says, He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the expectation of death is now confronted with the message of life. Notice the angel does not deny Jesus was crucified. He actually says he was. 
He does not deny that Jesus was dead. Because Jesus was dead. Jesus did not stay dead. And the angel's saying, yeah, those things happened, but now things have changed. This is the truth. Listen, listen, listen. This is the truth right here that sets you free. This is the truth of the gospel that sets you free. Jesus Christ came to live a perfect life, to die for your sins, and to be raised from the dead to defeat death. This is the truth. Now, no, again, live in the text. Okay, live in the text. Imagine you're one of the women. How fast are your hearts beating? He's not here. He has risen. I mean, just the earthquake, the angel appearing, the stone rolled back, appearance like lightning, clothing as white as snow, and then on top of all of that, he says, he's not here. He has risen. How fast is your heart beating? What kind of thoughts are passing through the the, the minds of these women? How fast are these thoughts processing through the synapses of their brains? I mean, had they lost their breath probably? I mean, just again, what in the world are they feeling? He's not here. Why? He has risen. Why? As he said. And the angel probably said it a little nicer than that. But this is a form of a gentle rebuke here. You see that? He's not here. Why? He has risen. Why? Because he says so. He told you several times in the Gospel of Matthew, you can find repeated times where Jesus predicted he would die, but he would be raised from the dead. And so the angel here lovingly, I love the love in this text here. That's not like, what's wrong with you people? How come you women, or the disciples, oh, those guys are a bunch of meatheads. He's not saying that. There's so much love here, but there is a little bit of rebuke, though. It's like, he told you this is going to happen. He said these things. Don't you remember? Well, he's just proving to be real in the promises that he made. He has risen as he said. Now, how much was registering in the minds of the women, we can't say for sure. By the way, though, this, this is one of the DVDs that when I get to heaven, I'm putting in and I want to press play. Like, I want to see this scene unfold because it was one of the most glorious scenes ever. And I want to see what that looks like, and that's going to be really, really exciting. But we can't say for sure what's happening in the minds of the women. But this we can say for sure, okay? When the angel says, he is not here, he has risen. Now, what has he just said? What is the theology behind that statement. This is the life-changing statement that changes the world forever. The world would never be the same again from the moment that this statement is made known to the general public. Never, never the same again. It's the statement that Jesus Christ was dead, but now he has been raised. Here's the truth that comes along with this statement. The truth is this. Truth number one, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life. Why is it so important that Jesus Christ was born Christmas, by the way? Born, lived without sin. Because if Jesus had sinned, he could not die for ours. The reason you and I cannot die for ourselves is because we are sinful. I mean, this just in, you've already sinned today, probably hundreds of times or several times in this past week, and just like me, and I'm just so, I'm just such a sinner. I cannot pay for my own sin because I am sin. I need someone who's perfect to pay for my sin. That's why Jesus Christ came. He's called the Lamb of God because he is the sacrificial Lamb of God. Before Christ, it was animals temporarily atoning for sin and over and over and over again, never fully making peace with God. But then the Lamb of God shows up and he lives without sin. And because he was without sin, his sacrifice was sufficient to meet the demands of a holy and righteous God, his Father. And the reason God demands perfection is because if he's holy as he says he is, he must stay true to his character and therefore rightly demand perfection. Otherwise, he's not who he says he is. We can't trust him and we can't believe in him. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills the perfect demands of a perfect God because he himself was perfect. He lived a sinless life. The second truth we understand is Jesus Christ died for our sins. If Jesus Christ did not die for our sins, we, of course, stand no chance. 
when Jesus Christ dies on the cross and he says it is finished, he's talking about he has finished the work of paying for the price and the sin of the world. He has taken it all on himself. He has bore your sin and mine. He took on the, the wrath of the Father that we deserved in our place. The cross is substitution. It's substitutionary atonement. It's Jesus in my place. This is the wonder of Easter weekend. I deserve to die. Jesus dies in my place because he lived a sinless life. He died this horrible death. He took it on for me. And then from here though, he dies on the cross, but he does not stay dead. He is raised from the dead. And here we come to our resurrection theology now. The moment he's raised from the dead, he proves that death has been defeated. And here's the greatest news ever. That death has been defeated. If Jesus stayed dead, if Jesus stayed dead, that meant that God was not satisfied with his payment for our sin. But the moment Jesus is raised from the dead tells us undeniably that God accepted the payment, was satisfied, and therefore has exalted his son to the highest possible place. Jesus did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. Again, payment accepted. And because of the resurrection then, here's what we understand, and here's what is guaranteed. I want to put this theology on the screen for you so you can see, and I want you to be able to go through this because this is, this is life-changing stuff. The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees, again, payment for sin in full. In full. Amazing. Awesome. Think of that offer to you today. All your sins covered. Every single one. Everything in the past. Everything in the present. And every sin that will be because of Jesus Christ. Offered to you. Guaranteed by the cross of Jesus Christ. Guaranteed by his resurrection. Also guarantees this. Jesus was victorious over death. He conquered death. He is risen from the dead, and now he will never die again. Death has been defeated. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is not on Jesus. He is raised from the dead. Sin is defeated. Satan is defeated. Death forever defeated because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then here, notice, the resurrection guarantees this for, now I say believers, because this is only for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who believe he died for them, and who have received the gift of eternal life. This isn't for the whole world, because the majority of the world rejects this and says, I don't want Jesus. I don't want his offer. Of life. I don't even believe he, he, is, he, is, he is real. And therefore, they spurn him, and they are among the ones that say, crucify him. But for those who do believe and receive the gift of grace by faith, the resurrection guarantees believers forgiveness. That's amazing guarantees you are forgiven. The resurrection guarantees you're justified. It means innocent, that God sees you as innocent now because he sees his son's righteousness in your life. It guarantees the believer will reign in heaven one day with Christ. It guarantees that Jesus is interceding for you in heaven right now. The resurrection guarantees that one day so soon you will take on the same resurrection body that when Jesus Christ was raised, see, he was raised to his resurrected body, which means, again, he will not die. No pain, no cancer, no sickness, no hardship in that way, no suffering of any kind in terms of that you will be not in the place that you don't want to be, 
too little weight, too more, whatever it is, your body will be perfected as it was meant to be in the original design of God himself. Anyone else fired up about a resurrection body? Anyone else? Anyone else? It's just like, please, please. Every time I say that, I'm just like, oh, it can't be soon enough, man. Just can't be so weak, so subject to sin, so discouraging, so just help us, God. But see, this is the hope. This is the power of Easter. This is the glory of the resurrection. This is what Jesus guaranteed the moment he was raised from the dead when the angel said, he is not here, he has risen. Again, how much the women understood, we don't know. They would as the days went on, but we do right, or we need to right now. We need to right now. And then we can say, we can say with Paul, hey, hey death, where's your victory? Hey, hell, Death, where's your sting? See, a Christian funeral, a Christian funeral is sad for us, but it's not sad for the believer who died. When the Christian dies, they begin life. That's when they go into the presence of Jesus Christ himself. I, I don't want to seem morbid, okay? But I don't fear death. In some ways, can't wait in some ways because this world is messed up man but this is why we need Jesus Christ so much this is why we need the hope of the gospel this is this is why we shout and we sing he is risen because this is the only hope we have in this world the hope that carries us beyond ourselves and liberates us from navel gazing and allows us to see our purpose is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the glory of Easter. And notice what the angel says next in her text. I, I want you to see this. Notice the, it's like the angels anticipating the doubt, right? Okay, because the women, they saw Jesus in that tomb, right? So the tomb the angel's sitting outside of, they saw Jesus' body go in that tomb. Matthew Gospel tells us that. So it was almost like, hey, you don't believe me? You think his body's still in here? Come see. Come see. Come see the place where he lay. You won't find him. He's not there. And so they go in and look and notice this. We need to know this too. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let the world in. And this is what's happening right here, right? John's gospel tells us that the linen cloths that were wrapped around Jesus' body, they were folded neatly and put in separate places, including, John's gospel tells us, the face cloth that would have wrapped around Jesus as he was buried. The face cloth was neatly folded and placed separate from the other linens that surrounded his body. See, why is that significant? What, what, it's, what it's telling us, this wasn't some scene of chaos as his body was stolen. This was the majestic, glorious Savior of the world, calmly and gloriously being raised from the dead, coming back to life, unwrapping himself calmly, folding the face cloth, putting it down on where he lay, taking off his other garments, placing them down, and then walking out right through the stone as the glorious risen Savior of the world. It's God perfectly executing with exact precision his plan to give eternal life for those who believe. The expectation of death, the shock of glory, the message of life, and now this. There was the joy of life-changing, purpose-finding, death-defeating, fear-decimating, love-infusing worship, right? And that is my point. 
and it'll stay up for 90 seconds in case you are a keener and want to write it down, okay? But this, this, is, this is the power of Easter. This is the, this is the glory of Easter. Look at verses 8 and 9 now. Look at verses 8 and 9. So they departed, the women departed quickly from the tomb, and with fear and great joy they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Can you see that the resurrection is where life truly begins? I mean, think of the life these women are beginning to see. Notice the process of this. Okay? Notice the process of fear, then joy, then worship. Most of, the, most of the human race just lives in fear. Fear of this, fear of that, fear of self, fear of the world, fear of terror, fear of their, fear of anxiety, anxiety, worry, fear, 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 fear. Most humans in this world live in fear. They never move beyond fear because joy is not happiness. Happiness is the world's attempt to feel good for a moment. Joy is the um, um, bedrock foundational uh, uh, knowledge and understanding that carries me as a child of God. I cannot die no matter how sad I become, no matter how difficult my days are. This joy is never diminished because the joy is what is going to carry me all the way to heaven. And this is what they begin to see in this Resurrection Sunday. The fear turns to joy, and the joy ultimately fulfilled will be fulfilled in worship at the feet of Jesus Christ. Where are you on the spectrum? A lot of us have walked in fear, but not even the good fear. Paralyzing fear. The fear that controls us, consumes us, and conflicts us, cripples us. But the Resurrection Sunday is the opportunity to see joy and then fulfilled in worship. Notice the Resurrection Sunday, it changes everything. Notice it also changes the pace in which we live. These women departed quickly, and then the Bible tells us again, another term of pace, they ran to tell the disciples. What did we learn here? The resurrection understood creates urgency. This isn't hamster wheel, run yourself into the ground and die. No, 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 but it's understanding when I grasp the truth of the resurrection, it brings purpose, it brings life, it brings urgency, it brings passion, it brings joy, it brings an, an, an undeniable sense, this is why I've been created. And when I sense that urgency, I run. I run to tell others, do you know, do you know, do you know, can you believe, can you believe? He was dead, but now he's alive, and I too have been made alive. Because of the life of Jesus Christ. And oh, what it must have been like as these women are running. And then look what happens. And they, they see him. And they hold him. They, just to see him. Like you're running and you're all these thoughts. You're trying to make sense of everything. And then you, you see him. You see the one who calmed the storm. You see the one who rose Lazarus from the dead. You see the one on Palm Sunday. You see the one who died. You see the one who was buried. And you see the one who is now risen. And you fall down and you take hold of his feet and you begin to worship him. Now, now again, again, discipline yourself in the text. You're one of the women. You're holding the feet of Jesus in that moment. Let me ask you this question. How alive, how alive do you feel in that moment? How much life is flooding through your soul in that moment as you grab hold of the feet of the Savior of the world. This was, without a doubt, the greatest moment of these women's lives. The greatest moment, at least thus far in their lives, when they grab hold and worship their Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, please listen. You are here today to hear the greatest moment of your life 
will be when you, by grace and through faith, take hold of the feet of Jesus Christ in worship of him and find out he is the reason that you exist. And he is the answer to your sin. And he is the one who overcomes your misery. And he is the one that rescues you from sin, death, and hell. That is the single greatest moment in any human being's life that has ever lived. It's all found and centered on Jesus Christ. And it brings in your life, it brings a life-changing, purpose-finding, death-defeating, fear-decimating, and love-infusing worship that the world can't even touch. Can't even touch. This is why the resurrection is where life truly begins. And these women are living it. And you know what? That was the first Easter weekend, and Jesus has been proving he is the one who changes lives forever. Every Easter weekend since, including today, right now, where thousands upon thousands across this world will be brought to eternal life by turning from their sin and embracing by faith Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. As they stop living for self and they cease to just gaze down at their navel and finally they look up and they say, this life is bigger than me. There's a Savior. His name is Jesus and I need to give my life to him. Notice what Jesus says last to these women in verse 10. Notice he says, and I find this very interesting, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I believe Jesus says to many of us here today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to turn from your sin. Do not be afraid to live for something greater than yourself. Do not be afraid to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Do not be afraid to find life itself only found in him. You say, what do I do? Confess your sin. Turn from sin. Receive the forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ. Confess him as Lord. Believe, believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Easter Sunday, at the end of it all, is a message of glory and it's a message of love. And because he loved you so much, God sent his son to live, to die, but to be raised from the dead, that we too have the chance to live forever with him. It's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. My advice is, take it. Take it. You don't know, you don't know if you'll hear it again. And today you are here, and today you have the opportunity to find out what life is truly about. Lord, help us to find real life. Help us to believe you. Let's pray. Let's pray. And God, I pray you would grant faith right now. I pray, Lord, just as we have so intimately been walking with these women here in their despair, in their expectation that it's over, expectation of death or sadness, and then they're shocked by glory. Oh, God, they see the wonder and the earthquake and the appearance like lightning, Lord, and they're just held in fear and what's happening, but then they hear the news of life. He is not here. He is risen. Then in their joy, Lord, and they, they're running, and then they see Jesus Christ, and they fall down at his feet, and, and they worship him. God, I pray this exact thing is happening today that people have come in here in this process, but the final thing they will do is they will see Jesus Christ himself, and they will fall down. And for the first time ever, they will worship by saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you are the answer to my life. Oh, Lord, may it be so. May we understand, may we know our only hope, our only chance, our only purpose is found in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Mm -hmm.